From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about inflation. How should we as investors respond to inflation? And should we expect to see more of it? And how will that affect your investment? Michael and Adam talk all things inflation in another great conversation. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And without further ado, let's get to the show. There's been a lot of talk about inflation, obviously. So I think we should just start at the top. Michael, what exactly is inflation defined? At the simplest, inflation is just the increase in prices. So if something costs a dollar today, in a year from now, the same thing costs a dollar and five cents, that's inflation. Price went up. Um, it's, it's caused by several different things can cause inflation. Um, so there's something called demand pull inflation, which is when demand for a good um, exceeds its production capacity. So, um, example, Adam would be uh, what? Yeah. So, well, as a matter of fact, I was talking to two of my nephews this past weekend, and they both were trying to buy Nintendo Switches, right? There you these, go. Like yeah. handheld gaming system things, and apparently they, you know. If you bought one at Christmas, you could get it for like 300 bucks. Well, now if you look online, people are reselling them for six, seven, eight hundred dollars um, because you have a lot more people, I'm assuming, are just sitting at home and they're bored. So they're trying to buy a gaming system and Nintendo wasn't ready. They didn't have their production you know, capacity at that level. So what happens? Something's got to give. How do you determine how to allocate those goods to the public? Well, the price goes up. So only the people that really, really want them are willing to part with that cash to get it. Okay. That's which another example is Christmas time. So that's exactly right. Like, you know, you have a certain number of goods, the more people want them, uh, the price goes up. Uh, second thing that causes prices to go up is just the, um, the cost of the inputs. So, um, you know, if it costs, uh, $50 to make something and you're trying to sell it with a 10% markup, you're trying to charge 55, uh, if the cost of all the inputs to, to build that thing go up by, let's say, uh, 10%, um, well, if now the new price of production is $55, you can't sell it for 55 and make a profit, so you're going to have to raise your price. Um, recent examples of that, oddly, uh, have been... Um, seen in the food industry uh adam we talked about like uh poultry plants and stuff shutting down um because of the covid virus and that actually caused prices to increase um you could also look at phones smartphones i mean yeah i'm not saying that all of the price increase that we've seen at places like apple and samsung are because of this but a component of it is the price of chips the chips that are using from you know manufacturers like amd places like that uh, NVIDIA, those are ge- becoming much more expensive the more complicated they get, the more research and development that goes into them. So that gets passed along in the form of increased prices so that the manufacturer, Apple or Samsung in this case, can maintain their profit and stay in business. Yeah. 
And then the, the final thing is just uh, built-in inflation that happens when uh, people start making more money and uh, standard of living in a country, for instance, can improve. Uh, maybe, let's say you, you live in a country where they discover a new uh, oil. Well, oil is not a good one right now, but a new rare mineral that's used, uh, in Adam's example, in the production of electronic goods. And so as you know, mining companies become, uh, come into your, your location and they begin um, building out the, the infrastructure, they hire a lot of people, people that were previously making uh, $10 an hour are now making 20. Well, what just happened was uh, a bunch of money moved into an economy and it can be localized, it could happen within a, a city, uh, you know, a manufacturing plant can move to that city and a bunch of new jobs are created. And so what happens? Well, the people who moved there needed to buy homes. And so uh, the price for all the homes in the surrounding area go up. Why? Well, because instead of the locals who, you know, again, maybe made $10 an hour, now people are coming in and they're making $20 an hour, they need a place to live. And so they can bid up the price of those homes. And that's that's honestly the the most common long term cause of inflation. Yeah, and this is why you know, at least I know when I was kind of growing up, not really understanding it, I always just heard inflation, and it and it always seemed to be like with a negative connotation, kind of this bad thing. But for the reasons you just explained, that's why you know the Fed and policymakers they they want to kind of try to stay in this Goldilocks zone. They don't want hyperinflation, obviously, where consumers can't keep up and they devalue their currency. We also don't want deflation because that's essentially an indicator that your overall, you know, output, your overall GDP, your overall standard of living as an economy is going down. So you kind of right. want to stay in this this sweet spot of manageable inflation um, as long as, you know, your the members of the economy, the consumers can are, are the cause of it more than not, right? That they can keep up with that because it's an indicator that your economy is growing and progressing. Right. So inflation in itself is not a good or a bad thing. It's just a thing. Um, so don't fall into the trap I did. Um, now, obviously, in light of the legislation that's passed and the coronavirus relief bill, I think the reason that it's on top of people's minds is because of the reasons we just outlined, it's there's a lot of money being pumped into the system right now. So. Do you think, Michael, that we are going to see an increase in inflation? And if so, let me make it really complicated for you. If so, <laughs> when do you think we would see that? Oh, man, that's a good question. You know, um, recently we've seen some inflation and some deflation. So, you know, when you tell people stay at home, what you do is you say don't drive. When you say don't drive, you say don't buy gas. When you say don't buy gas, what you do is you drive down the price of gas. And so you look at gas prices and you're like, wow, that's deflation. That's prices have gone down. Um, we talked about inflation in prices of things like food. Um, there's there's, uh, you know, a shortage of poultry because of some some uh, experiences that we had in the food supply chain. And so the prices of food, eggs, milk, I think, have all gone up. Depends on where you live, too. This is all regional, um, by the way. And so uh, 
prices have already started to rise for some goods and for other goods they've fallen. Um, if you look at, for instance, the 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 implication of stay home, don't buy gas. One of the other things you're not doing, well, the thing you're not doing is driving, which means you might not be inclined to go out and buy a car. Well, Toyota and Ford and Chevy and Chrysler and Lexus, they all have a bunch of cars that are sitting on lots and they want you to come buy them. Well, you may not be really inclined to go pay the same price you would have paid in January, you may be wanting to pay five to ten thousand dollars less for that same car. Um, so they, because they're going to have an incentive to get that car moved somehow, uh, might be willing to even take a loss on that car and sell it. That's deflation. And so honestly, I think when we talk about are we going to experience inflation? Are we going to experience deflation? Um, when are we going to experience inflation? The hyperinflation that we kind of predict. Uh, from uh, the government simply putting money into the system, um, when will that be? I don't think it's going to be immediately. I think it can it can take some time for you to feel that effect. Um, the The thing I think that's uh, really interesting too is when we talk about we use a term quantitative easing. People may have heard that term, and that is essentially a term that says when the government just produces money. Um, and the reason that we expect that to cause inflation is because if you used to have $100 in the system chasing the goods and services available, um, you knew that things were going to cost $100 because after that there was no money. Well, when the government prints money and puts, let's say, an additional $100 into the system, well, if you have the same number of goods and services, what just happened? Well, now you have $200 chasing those goods and services. Um, and so prices theoretically at that point would double. So if the right. government has printed enough money this year to equal 10% of our GDP, I think a rational person would say, well, if we come back and we actually produce that 10% and we didn't need that much government stimulus, then maybe inflation is going to be uh, 10%, which would be very high. Um, that is a reality that probably doesn't happen immediately. Um, and the other thing is that you have to consider is it's not just the amount of money that's printed or created, but it's also whether or not that money actually gets spent in the economy or invested and saved. So yeah, I like that concept a lot. Uh, yeah. Velocity actually, of money. Yeah, the velocity of money, it's it's not I mean I had obviously heard of the concept, but it's because it's kind of a subtopic of, of inflation and yeah, it's not like I'd spent a whole lot of time learning about it. And so in the prep for this episode, obviously researching it, it's really interesting. And I think that's one of the big kind of factors in trying to figure out, you know, how quickly will we see inflation? Well, it's kind of a function of the velocity of those dollars that are being added to the system. Right. So kind of the way I the way I gleaned it, Michael, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to me what velocity of money means is how quickly does money come into and out of my pockets? Right? But like on a societal level. So if if the That's government right. sends That's if exactly the government right. if the government sends my business or me per, whatever you want to say, if the government sends me a thousand dollars, well that in and of itself doesn't really put money into the system. 
right? Like if I just keep that money in my pocket or under my mattress, mm-hmm. that's just a thousand dollars of paper money sitting there, not doing anything. And if I hold it for 10 years, well, that thousand dollars, even though it exists, it has not contributed to right. the price of goods. So it can't possibly have had an effect on inflation. That's relevant because of course the government and the fed is printing all this money, but we're in a recession. So I don't think we have enough data yet to know what the velocity of the money is yet, but are people getting that stimulus? Are businesses getting these small business loans and sitting on it or are they spending it, right? Are they going out and buying food? Are they going out and spending it at retail shops? Are they, you know, booking trips, whatever the case may be. Um, and it's a really kind of interesting sub study to look at, um, when we're trying to time out when this might happen. When we talk about um, inflation in relation to us, the consumer, do you think that there's going to be, I mean, Michael said that it's going to be a gradual thing, obviously, but will inflation really affect our lives that heavily, do you think, Adam? I think it certainly could. I I think of all the times in history where it, it should be something that you factor into your investments, I think now it's more true than ever. Um, I mean, it doesn't take much. You can look back at history and see in a lot of societies, um, it's a very real thing. I think mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a very, you know, I would say amateur is too strong of a word. I'm a amateur's amateur World War II kind of guy. <laughs> so if you go back and look at um, kind of the rise of the Nazi party, one of the things they did was they took advantage of the economic environment in uh, the depression era Germany where they were experiencing hyperinflation, right? Which was, you know, it it cost, I want to say like over the period of six months, like one German Frank inflated to the value of, I want to say like eight, 800,000, uh, whatever the denomination is in Germany. So it can have a very real impact on societies in a very unsettling way. If it's not managed properly, that's why I said governments really pay close attention to what inflation is doing. Now, do I think that's going to happen? No, that's a very obviously extreme example. But I do think it's something that is prevalent enough that it should be factored into whatever it is you're doing with your portfolio. There's a number of ways you can kind of account for inflation, especially if you think inflation is going to be uh, much higher than historical averages. Now, obviously, one of the things you can do, and this is probably something everyone's already doing, but over history, equities have, have outpaced inflation. So if you have a broadly diversified basket of stocks, over long periods of time, that return should make up for, or at least pace, inflation. So in terms of purchasing power, if I invest a million bucks into a basket of equities, and I leave it there for a long amount of time, let's say 10 years or more, at the end of that 10 years, my return will have been greater than inflation has eaten away at my purchasing power. So obviously you want to make sure that you have some exposure to equities to give you that higher expected return. But then there's also a couple of things that are, are custom built that I'll kind of let Michael as the, the much more, uh, he has a much higher expertise in fixed income than I do. Um, but on the fixed income side, what you can do to kind of try to fight back against inflation. Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple things, um, to add before I talk about the fixed income, one of the things is that when when a country simply produ- produces money and, and says to the world, "Hey, there's now you know trillions more U.S. dollars uh, available," what you see 
uh, also happen is that your currency relative to other currencies becomes less valuable. And um, the United States is somewhat immunized from that because of different things that, that happen in the world. Um, in a lot of countries, when they uh, issue debt, they issue it in U.S. dollars because nobody would buy it otherwise. So uh, the question is really, are we immune, totally immune as a country from that? And the answer has got to be no. Um, we can't simply print, you know, eventually Adam's point in, in Nazi Germany was the money was worth more as fire starter than it was as money. And so, uh, you know, imagine if you if you have a fireplace and you go out and you buy those fire logs and they cost $27. Well, imagine if they cost so much that you were like, I'd rather just burn the money because the money's worthless. You know, inflation has caused that to happen. Um, but it also means one of the things that you do as an equity investor is you take your money, you turn it into a different currency, you go to the foreign country and you invest in that economy. And then let's say you take your $100, um, you, you go to Thailand or you go to South Africa, uh, you, you turn your $100, let's say, into 100 units of South African currency and then the South African uh, currency appreciates over the next year. It, it does better relative to the U.S. because let's say South Africa is not printing as much money. And then what happens is let's say the company that you invested in earned 10 percent. So now you have 110 units of, uh, of South African currency. But if the South African currency has also appreciated by 10 percent, uh, when you bring that back to the U.S., you now have earned, uh, you've, you've taken your 110 uh, South African rand and you've turned it into um, what, basically a dollar and 20 something cents. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, you didn't just turn your $100 into $110 because of the 10% return. You also turned it into 10% more than that because of currency fluctuations. And so it's just important to think about it as an equity investor I want to diversify across different economies uh, because I can take advantage of uh, the U.S. dollar weakening. Yeah, specifically uh, diversify. There's a lot of different ways to diversify. What you're getting at, Michael, right, is diversifying across geographies. Yes, right? yeah. Because inflation is a country-specific Right, and it is. it has also been something that has hurt international investors. If you are a U.S.-based investor, investing in emerging markets or international markets recently uh, over the last 10 years, the strong U.S. dollar has had a negative impact on those investments. Like the, the investment itself might have done well, but when you had to bring that money back to the U.S., uh, you, you suffered from that. So on the fixed income side, what you want to do is you want to look at things like real return funds and TIPS funds. And TIPS stands for Treasury in uh, inflation protected securities. Um, they're US government issued securities that basically say, hey, we're gonna pay you an interest rate, but we're gonna pay that. And then on top of that, we're gonna uh, pay you whatever inflation is. And so, you know, if inflation hits some really high number, those are great things to have. If inflation stays low, um, you, you don't necessarily need those securities. And so one of the things you can do is invest in those 
but uh, further out in time. So maybe we don't know when this will happen, but we could say in 10 to 20 years, there's a definite possibility that this has happened. So let's invest in inflation-protected securities. Um, That is something that we do a lot for retirees because they need a stream of inflation-protected income. And uh, at one point, uh, about a week ago, I was looking, and the long-duration inflation-protected securities uh, index was up like 30% over the last year. Uh, So, you know, whereas people were wanting to get out of equities at all costs, they were also putting their money in treasuries and specifically in inflation-protected treasuries because there was this this view that, hey, eventually this is going to be a problem. Um, There are also uh, some things that are a little different. Uh, They're called structured products, which is basically a way of uh, investing in a series of options uh, to future to, to purchase things in the future uh, that usually pay you a coupon rate. Uh, and some of those are also tri- tied to inflation protected uh, investments. So you can you can definitely beat inflation over time, um, but it really does take uh, being thoughtful about how you invest your money and not putting it all, uh, you know, putting all your chips in one basket. Uh, really does not make sense as a way to beat inflation over um, consistently beat inflation. It's it's a thing that will allow you to be right, you know, a lot. But when you're wrong, uh, the purchasing power that you're going to need in those future years may not be available. And so you do want to be thoughtful about how you do it. Definitely be thoughtful. And I would also specifically, you know, in reference to the structured products that you mentioned, I would just say that unless you're a very experienced investor, that's going to be something that you're going to want to tackle probably with a professional, either with an advisor Mm -hmm. or a CPA, someone that you work with financially um, because the world of options and futures, I mean, definitely a lot of advantageous things you can do in your portfolio there, but it's different than, you know, just your traditional, Hey, enter in a, a ticker and buy it. Um, and the way that they behave and the inputs that are, are in, they go into pricing them uh, can get fairly complex. Uh, even for, you know, someone like me who does this for a living, it, it takes time and I have to think about it uh, intentionally. So just don't wade into that world um, carelessly. Um, you know, like Michael said, definitely want to be thoughtful about it. I was going to say, that's a really good point, Adam, because the other thing is it it is something, it's not a set it and forget it. It's right. something that uh, things change, markets change, interest rates change. And so, you know, you might invest in the S&P and say, well, I'm simply going to buy it. I'm going to hold it. And I'm happy with that. That's very different than an option that expires, you know, in two years or in 18 months or a year from now. Uh, between now and then it's going to become nearly a full-time job for you to, to, to think about it. So you probably do want to be working with somebody else, uh, who does that for a living. So yeah, that's a good call. Perfect. Okay. That sounds really good guys. Uh, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this one up? I don't think so. I think that's a pretty good overview of inflation. Uh, certainly, we'll be keeping our eyes on it and uh, uh, 
seeing how that plays out. And if it does become more prevalent, I am sure that you can depend on us covering it more in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, gentlemen. We'll talk to you next time. Okay. All right. Bye-bye, guys. Take care, guys. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.